2: The late lunch
0: with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk, and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low APR finance, and 48 hour test drive. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie.
3: You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon and we're going to get straight to business today and I am truly delighted to be talking to my first guest on the show because regular LMFM listeners would remember her well. She was part of our news team here for years. She's now Communications Director with the Marie Keating Foundation and she's with us to talk about something really personal. Jennifer, can I say O'Shea, welcome back to LMFM Radio.
4: Hi, Jerry. Delighted to be here. Very strange. It was lovely listening there to the dulcet tones of Column Corrigan on the Sports News. <laughs>
3: Brought me right back. <laughs> Brought you back is right. And uh, he'll be delighted you mentioned him. I know he will. Indeed he will. <laughs> and uh, sure, we're, we're here a away and, and you've moved on in many aspects of your life. But look, let me just introduce what we're going to talk about to our listeners. I know for many people uh, to have a family is really their true heart's desire. But for some people, it doesn't happen easy. And IVF is an option. It's costly but priceless. But when it comes to IVF, Jennifer, here in Ireland, you paddle your own canoe. There is no support, despite commitments by successive governments and another one again recently. Now, you've been uh, commenting on this in recent days. Can I ask you first, you have a little girl. What age is she?
4: We do, Ella. She's uh, four, four and a bit. She'll be five in November.
3: Great. And baby number two is on the way soon.
4: Very soon, yeah, in <laughs> July. So, about nine weeks to go.
3: <laughs> so, this is great news. Let me go back to baby number one. Did you have to go the IVF route?
4: We did, yeah. I think, um, you know, lots of couples and I think probably more than people realise um, – get the news that we got which is you know i suppose we we tried the the regular route uh, and when things weren't working uh, we went to see our gp now i, I was living in london at the time
5: mm.
4: uh, we went to see our gp over there and went through all the the usual kind of tests and everything to to figure out what was going on and when you get the news i suppose that the, the likelihood is that you won't conceive um the natural way it's it is it's a bit it's a total shock and it's not something you ever expect to happen i suppose you spend your whole kind of you know like twenties and, and your early years, I suppose you know being told all of the ways in which you can get pregnant, uh, and no one mentions the fact that actually you know fertility is is not something that everybody, um, had you know the good fertility sorry is not something that everybody has naturally, and and sometimes your fertility clock can kind of um, mm. you know can run out or can and can be problematic earlier than you might expect. So we yeah so we got that news um and so we went down the IVF route uh, in London. To conceive Ella, um, and we were, you know, extremely lucky um, in the sense that, you know, we conceived on our first round of IVF, which isn't that common, uh, and we were very blessed to get. So, uh, we had one round of IVF in London, and um, Ella was the was was the result of that. Mm. Um, and I suppose as a result of that round, we ended up with I think it was four, yeah, four embryos, um, four viable embryos two of which we put back in and Ella was the one that took uh, and then we, we froze the remaining two embryos and they've been in storage for the guts of five years <laughs> and it's <laughs> actually one of one of those that is the baby in my my tummy at the minute. Oh, oh.
3: Jennifer, this is yeah. a lovely, lovely story. It really <laughs> is and it is the joy and the upside of IVF. But what I wanted hmm. to ask you was, London, UK, is, it, is there financial support there?
4: There is. Yeah. Like, I think, I mean, Ireland is extremely far behind the UK and all of our European neighbours in relation to state funded IVF, um, which is, is, I suppose, why um, I wanted to speak out about it in recent times, because mm. to go through IVF, like, as I say, like, we're kind of the, the good news story of IVF. Like, we're very blessed, you know, four rounds and two pregnancies is, is a really good ratio. Um, but not everybody has that story. And even for us, the financial burden of going through IVF has been massive. It's it's really expensive. Um, and Ireland provides no support for couples who are facing into that. In the UK, they do. So it's, it's a bit of a postcode kind of lottery in the UK, which isn't ideal either. But you are afforded between one and three rounds of free state funded IVF, depending on where you live. Mm. So, you know, I think if I can remember correctly, I think we were in a postcode where we were entitled to at least two, if not the three. Um, So that was an option for us. Now, the thing about, I suppose, the NHS is an incredible um, health system. And I think it's only when you don't have it and then you experience it that you actually really, truly value it. Um, But the obviously waiting lists were, you know, are an issue in relation to, to IVF treatment there. So for us, because we had spent so long trying to figure out if there was an issue and then when there was, what the issue was and how we went about it. Um, we decided that the wait was too long. So we went privately in the UK for our round there as well. Mm. But it was exceptionally reassuring, I suppose, to know uh, that there was an option there for us publicly had we needed it. And we were just really fortunate, like between savings that we had saved, obviously, over a long number of years and between some family support, we were able to afford to do it privately. Um, But the cost is massive. Um, And it's also one of those kind of roller coasters where, Um, You know, it's incredibly disappointing when rounds don't work uh, and there's no, it's not like you don't pay if you don't get pregnant. Yes. (laughs) um,
3: (laughs) And no fall, no fee. (laughs) Sorry, I I shouldn't say that in the context, but you know, the the, the, the saying is used no fall, no fee uh, in a legal sense as well. And we hear what you're saying. That isn't the case. When you talk about the cost, I'm sure listeners are wondering, Mm -hmm. say, what what are you talking about? You're talking about a five figure sum there? It'd be at least that, would it?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're into the thousands and it, it depends, I suppose, on there's lots of different options in terms of fertility treatment, you know, and every every couple is like is different uh, mm. and, and will be recommended slightly different options. But I mean, you're certainly talking well in Ireland anyway, you're certainly talking, you know, it could be up to 10 grand per yes, round yes. Um, somewhere mm. between five and 10. It depends on the options are given. So it is it's significant, you know, and it's not yeah. something that most people have lying around um and not for multiple rounds and that's the issue you know as in again we were very lucky with ella where we had a one round um a run round hit but
6: mm.
4: when we came back over here then uh, and we were thinking you know actually it was time to go again and we'd like to give ella a sister or a brother we decided um we originally wanted to do it with the clinic in london kind of i suppose you're a bit superstitious if nothing else in relation to the fact that we had such a good success with them mm. uh, that we would like to do it with them but we decided to to go for this at the start of the pandemic. So not ideal to be traveling back and forth. And um, so we decided then that there was, that, that was kind of a, that wasn't the brightest idea in the world. So we went about shipping over our little embryos from London to here. And that was another kind of kaffur because because of Brexit, I suppose, to, yeah. to transfer human tissue effectively across the border from the from Europe, from the UK, became a bigger problem than it would have been previously. Mm. So um, we we then decided that while we were waiting for all the paperwork to go through and all the hoops you had to jump through to get them over, that we would do um, some rounds because you're always really conscious in relation to fragility that you're not getting any younger. Mm. And it's a horrible thing to talk about. And I know I sometimes feel like that's kind of, the reason why i suppose it's not talked about as much is because you don't want to put pressure on women to start a family or to have to consider that before they're ready and no one should have to but the reality when it comes to your fertility as a woman is that you know after 35 things can get a lot trickier uh, and we don't really talk about that and I, I certainly was totally unaware of it when i was landed that fact by a doctor in an office um that it kind of falls off a cliff so we decided while we were waiting because it, it was going to take potentially six months or maybe even more to get them over we said we would do around and we ended up doing two rounds mm. uh, so i have experience i suppose going through a full cycle twice and having no, nothing to show for it at the end yes so that that's that is really heartbreaking um and the kind of emotional i suppose it's the financial burden and it's the emotional ups and downs that, that go with it it's the hope that comes uh and then the huge disappointment i suppose when things don't go right and then when you have to face back into another round, you know, and, and it is physically taxing kind of on your body um, and all the, the hormones and stuff you have to take. So for for couples, I suppose that cost is massive. Um, but because there's no guarantee, you're really looking ahead to like, okay, you know, could we fund two rounds? Could we fund three rounds? Um, and that's, and, and the cost of that is huge. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's a deposit on a house, you know? Mm. And in the in the Ireland we're all living in, it's, you know, cost of living is enormous and it's not easy to be paying for childcare for maybe another child, um, trying to think about getting a mortgage or paying your mortgage and paying childcare fees, you know, the cost of food and everything. Yes. So it, you know, it's, it's a big financial undertaking. And I think we, I think in a, like in a lot of things, I suppose, in relation to women's healthcare in particular, we are, we are very far behind and we don't seem, we don't seem to have the urgency to fix the problem. Yeah. Um, and to give the support that people, you know, do need. And I just think, yes, like um, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be the you shouldn't just, I suppose, like because you're in a certain income bracket or because you are very fortunate, like we were to have family support. That shouldn't be the only reason that you're allowed yes.
3: to,
4: you know, to go for something yes. like IVF. Like everybody should have the right. Yes. To. Have a family, or to at least have the attempt to have a family,
3: and this is the this is the the nub of the matter, and and this is why you're talking about it now. And I've just been listening to you there uh, when you talk about you know finances are a huge thing in in life for a family Mm. you know the house the mortgage uh, child care as you said and what you don't need because I've uh, family experience of it as well is any stress or worry you know and uh, you know money worries are are just huge as you say at the moment and it it jeopardizes it it can jeopardize a a successful uh, pregnancy there's no doubt about that So, you know, here we are today and again, our government have, I don't know how many ministers this is, (laughs) have (laughs) held and Mr Daly now has given a commitment that there will be support for people from the state who want to go the IVF route. Do you believe them?
4: I want to believe them, absolutely. And look, I think think it is to be welcomed that he has reiterated again because obviously over the last two years that that went very quiet. Mm. Um, But... I suppose, like when I came back from the UK, I'm home um, just coming up to four years. So when I came back from the UK, I remember hearing, I remember, first of all, I couldn't believe that we didn't have any state funded IVF here after experiencing, I suppose, the, the other system. But then when I came back, I, I remember when um, Simon Harris came out and uh, and spoke about it and said it was a priority and it was going to happen. Now, obviously, the pandemic happened and no one could have predicted that and it, it brought its own pressures and pulls um on the health system and on the government and everybody appreciates that but I think the time I guess for like for kind of press statements and um buzz buzzwords and all that kind of stuff is gone so I welcome the fact that he's recommitted to it but I think everybody is just waiting to see action on it um because as I said I suppose you you are very aware of your timeline um and you know that and it's horrible to think about it this way. But you know that every month or kind of six months or year that goes past, your chances get lower and it's just a just a fact, depending on your age. So, yeah. you know, for lots of couples, even the end of next year, which I think is what he said, mm. that feels like an awful long way off, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's causing anxiety for some who are kind of hoping for it sooner. Mm. Um, But yeah, look, I mean, all, all we can do is keep our fingers crossed and hope that he sticks to his promises.
3: Please, God, he will. And and that ticking clock is something time nor tide waits for no woman or man. It's mm. as simple as that. And especially when it comes to fertility and hoping to have a family, and it'll be too late, unfortunately, for some. Uh, and that's the 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 fact of of the matter. Anyway, you're well and keeping well and looking forward. I'm sure Ella's all excited,
4: is she? She is. Yeah, no, she's really excited. I think like we kind of have a we have a good age gap. I mean, it be four and a half when the next one comes. So. She doesn't identify herself as the baby anymore. She's definitely the big girl. I'm the big sister. And so she's kind of getting all geared up, I think, for for helping and for. Uh, for being involved but look sure we'll see what happens when the next one comes she's also used to being Queen Bee for the last four years so <laughs> <laughs> it might be a little bit of a shock for her but we'll muddle through <laughs>
3: oh, of course it will but it'll be fantastic anyway I won't mention the um, the short sleeping hours you will be experiencing and oh, you're a good try. man as well Ben <laughs> you know it's going to be all uh, back to uh, when Ella uh, ride back then but isn't it fantastic and what a story it is and it really is the upside and the positive side and as you said you've yeah. experienced both. You've been through rounds where it didn't uh, work and yet here you are with the frozen embryo that's taken out and baby number two on the way. And I may I say this to you, you've done a great service uh, by, you know, it's a very private thing to you mm. and, and your husband and your family to come out and, and tell your story and compare, you know, the UK with ourselves. I, one last little thing, you, you, you really praise the NHS. You know, we hear from this side, it gets nothing but battered
4: Yeah, I think though, like I said, I mean, I think if you're you're born and bred and grow up in the UK, it's an easy thing to take for granted, you know, and it's not a perfect system, but what system is, but I think when you compare it um, to what we have here, it's a far more equitable system. Um, And I think, you know, even things like free access to primary care, like to GP for everybody, yes, that does lead to it being abused slightly, you know, people are going for things that you don't need to really go for, but you know, everybody gets access to it. The, the the care for when you are pregnant and on maternity, you know, I had free dental for the whole of my pregnancy, free dental for nine months afterwards. Um, there's just so much more, I suppose, support available mm. um, within the framework of the NHS. And I think we have here and I think um, I think it's, it's all about fairness, isn't it? For me, the NHS is an incredibly fair system. Like you should be able to access health care without having to pay like when you're sick and I suppose from my job as well yeah. um you know I'm very aware of of the impact of of yes. finances in relation to a cancer diagnosis and you shouldn't have to be worrying about a bill coming in or a debt collector coming to your door when you have gone through something that is life changing if not life limiting um and I think the reality with our system is that for a lot of people whether it's cancer or whether it's you know you know like you've been hit by a bus or whatever whatever it is whatever route you end up in hospital um, that, that can be a huge worry for people and it's not right
3: mm. You say it so well and make the point eminently Look, we wish you well in July uh, Let us know, do keep in touch when, really? the, when the new arrival appears and congratulations to you again uh, It's just wonderful news and thank you for joining me back on LMFM Radio's Late Lunch this afternoon Jennifer O'Shea will be in touch Thanks, Jerry. Take care yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. She's lovely, isn't she? She really is. Louise, do you like Eurovision?
5: I used to love Eurovision. I did every year religiously myself. And Frank Groanet would team up and watch it and start to finish with their popcorn and glass of wine. But I haven't
1: watched it in a few years because it just got oh, it just got
3: boring. Yeah, it was just politics. Yes. Just- and, and crazy, you vote for me and yeah crazy songs and things like that I know what you're saying there was a time it was huge and it's coming up again yeah. soon and it got uh, longer
7: as well didn't it
3: oh semi-finals and yeah, finals yeah. and all this type of nonsense as well I, I don't know where it's gone but uh, and we've fared badly and I don't know whether we've really taken it too serious either but This year I have a feeling in me water but you have a feeling in your water too. You think every other European country are wasting their time sending an entry to Eurovision. Why? Yeah, I just think Ukraine have an entry this year so an act of solidarity I reckon everyone's just going to give them 12 points. You could be right, you know, (laughs) you could be right. They could have a turkey on
1: stage (laughs) like we did one year, but they could have a turkey singing and they'll probably, I'd be surprised if they don't win it.
3: Well, now let's watch this space. And of course, Russia got the heave-ho.
1: Yes.
5: Uh,
3: They're not in They had an entry, but they were. Yeah, they're out. Asked to. They're out, and rightly so. They shouldn't be accommodated in any sporting or any cultural uh, thing at all while this war prevails. Absolutely not. I'm 100% behind them. sport and everything else. Good luck to them. So you'd think uh Ukraine. Well that's it, they, they're in.
1: scheduled
3: to participate. So yes. if they
1: are I just reckon mm. yeah.
3: <laughs> the,
4: the, the, If the, they the, don't win, we're all the rest of us will all be given out. To, <laughs>
3: why do you not vote for them? Yeah, all bets off. There'll be nobody taking bets <laughs> on this for sure, with, 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 with that type of logic. But I really think you're onto something else. But I do want to say that I believe Ireland's song by Brooke Scullion is a blinking good song. Now, I only saw it in recent days. She performed it uh, on the Late Late, I, I, I think before she headed off, because they're rehearsing already. One thing I'll say about her, she wants to move her ass because... She was me? She was very... <laughs> she was very... St- Stayed and very stationary. Do you know what I mean for the song? She's got to get a bit more rhythm. Maybe she and, was nervous. Oh, nervous, me backside. She's got to. No, she says she's going to have dancers with her on the stage in Eurovision, but my God, she was stiff as a poker on the television. I just thought, I only watched it this morning. I just thought her performance needs really opping. The game has mm, to be upped.
1: Maybe, Maybe she's meant to be like that. Maybe Maybe she is delivering
3: it. No, 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 no. Will we hear the song? Let's listen to the song into news and weather at two. After two, the gastro gays are with me. They have a new book, Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon. But let's have a listen to Ireland's Eurovision entry. It's Miss Brooke Scullion, who's going to be giving it all, I'm sure, on the night of the semi-final. And the song is called That's Rich.
7: Stupid
3: Dash We played our Eurovision song before news at two here on late launch, and I think it's a cracking song. I really do. If you want to know anything about Eurovision, our Ken O'Sullivan. He is the Bible on Eurovision and he brings you a Eurovision special this Saturday evening between 8 and 10 o'clock. You should tune in for that because you'll get the lowdown on all the songs on the runners and riders and the favourites, etc. That's Eurovision uh, preview with our Ken O'Sullivan here on LMFM Radio this Saturday evening between 8 and 10 o'clock. Uh, how is it possible to listen back to that segment about IVF if it... It's been missed, says a listener. Well, it's quite simple. Late Lunch is podcast Every single day If you don't catch the show Go into lmfm.ie And the daily podcast is there And it's usually there from around 4 o'clock but half an hour after the show finishes It's there and you can listen back at any stage uh, There's a listener doesn't think much of the song Another loves it you see that? That's the way it goes Peter got your message I do understand what you're saying as well And the West is not squeaky clean either When I mentioned about Russia being banned I couldn't agree with you more I understand fully what you're saying Keep your messages coming to us 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Now, great idea and I have to say had to have them back or her back and them back today on the show. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Blaster Books because it's a fantastic idea. Kristen Jensen is the publisher and she decided that cookbooks were a little too fussy, too complicated and it was difficult for real good people to be published in a book. The second book is out, and I have it here in my hand. It's called Hot Fat, and it is by the gastro gays, Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon. I have the boys, and I have Kristen on the line as well. Welcome all to Late Lunch.
7: Hi. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having us.
3: Not at all. You're all very welcome to the show. Kristen, I'm going to start with yourself. Congratulations on the second book. Have it for the last few days. I absolutely adore this book. Just again, explain to our listeners briefly the concept.
0: Right, So uh, Blast of Books is a new publishing project that I started uh, last year via a Kickstarter campaign. We published our first book in February, and that's Tacos by Lily Ramirez Foran. This is the second book. It's officially published today. So it's really exciting uh, to have that out in the world now. It's a quarterly series. So all, we also have book three coming in August and book four in November. So I'm really excited to have Hot Fat out now because as Great the reception it was for tacos. I think this really now people are starting to get the sense of it being a series and that all the books are the same size, the same format, the same design and illustrator, and yet they do all have their own unique individual personalities.
3: They do indeed. Well when you went to the East Liz, before I asked them, were they on board straight away or did you have to do a little bit of arm twisting?
0: No arm twisting needed. The the only hard part was deciding on a topic. Mm. And we actually, um, because the guys are local as well, we had a big long walk down along the river back when that was about the only thing you could do. the <laughs> Lockdowns. And we were just kind of batting some de- ideas around. And I think they came up with five, if I'm not mistaken, five different possibilities. But as soon as they said, you know, the, the book about deep fried it was kind of
3: like we just knew that was going to be it well done anyway boys welcome to the show russell and patrick your podcast is so popular i have to say chew the fat and you're in the media and radio and television and you name it since 2013 you're all over the place but let me ask you this lads hot fat fried foods and you know people think we're all being told
7: oh stay away from it what do you have to say to that I have to say everything in moderation. I think uh, frying as a form in food has been vilified so much over the past couple of years. And yes, true, it isn't the healthiest way to... Um, to eat. However, frying is really unrivaled in the fact that it adds impressive crunch Mm. and texture is so important in eating. It captivates the senses. It offers that crave-worthy crunch that we all love Mm. and it has inspired us so much that we have spent pretty much the past year and a half frying stuff and that has resulted in hot fat coming out today. (laughs) So it's a super exciting time. Um, and there's no
3: escaping the fact you dissed the air fryer, boys.
7: <laughs> well, I mean, the air fryer absolutely has its uses. It has its place in the kitchen. The thing we do not agree with is that you can't compare the two. So the air fryer is more akin to a countertop oven. And it's great at heating stuff through or reheating stuff, especially heating through previously fried food. However, you can't really achieve the same crunch and the same flavour and the same textures in an air fryer that you can in the deep fat fryer.
3: Ah, you're men after my own heart. I bought an air fryer. This is a fact. I used it once and went to the recycle centre with it and <laughs> left it in the electrical. Oh no. I'll be shocked. The away. only things we find them
2: useful for is, as you said, refrying food and sausages at the weekend. And that's it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: only useful thing for it. But it's, it's, it's you know, I think it's, it's, it's just the, the fact that the word fryer is in the title and instantly everyone thinks that it is a direct substitution And in the very early stages of um, creating this book and testing things I think we got to about seven recipes that we were doing side by side just in case they could go into the air fryer and the results were not nice and in fact some of them were really unpleasant so we just kind of were like head on and just focus on deep fat frying because they are a clunky piece of kit, if you do have one you're probably only using it for chips and Mm. chips are on the cover of the book Mm. and that's beautiful But inside of it, you can see the world that's available to you, that you're able to do all these other things. You're able to have a bit of fun with food. As Patrick said just a few moments ago, it's not about um, having this every day. Please don't. This isn't like a Joe Wicks meal plan type of book or anything like that. (laughs) Moderation. This is a Saturday treat. This is making fried chicken for your Sunday brunch with waffles. This is a Spanish tapas night with a couple of croquettas, you know. Yeah treat yourself in that kind of way
3: can I tell you this fellas it's pride of place and going to be pride of place in my vast collection of cookery books I absolutely love it I love it <laughs> That makes us so happy to hear, so thank you. Not at all. It is terrific, some of the recipes. Now, look, I have a few pertinent questions for you boys, for deep fat fryer fanatics who struggle at times with little, little things. And you boys can, I'm sure, put us right today. Onion rings, your ginger beer onion rings. Oh, I have to try them. But tell me, lads, how do I get the batter to stick?
7: Oh, okay. A very good question. And that's definitely a stumbling that we had early, early on. It's all about the thickness of the batter. So if it's too thin, it's just going to fall off. And the other key thing is the heat of your oil. I think everybody thinks about frying and they think it'll all come out covered in oil and stodgy and horrible and oily and absolutely unhealthy. However, if you're frying at the right temperatures and in the book, you'll see each of the recipes Mm. specifies a specific temperature of the oil, if you are frying at the right temperature, the oil isn't absorbing into the food. It creates that exterior that holds everything in yes. and only creates the crunch and the uh, on the outside.
3: You've got to get this book to find out. I have it and I am going to try. That's my first job to try to get that right. <laughs> now, when you talk about different things, because you have such a range, as you say, it's not just about chips, uh, frying chips. There's such a range in the book. Where do you stand on, say, doing chips, say, and then, for example, putting in the onion rings after or something else? You know, you know what I'm talking about—mixing and matching yeah. different foodstuffs in the same oil. Talk to me about that, fellas. It's not completely against the law, in our opinion. But <laughs> the only
2: issue is um, you have to kind of be very aware of your cooking oil because um, at towards the end of the book, there's a couple of sweet treats, for example. And I can't think of anything more vile than maybe making donuts that in the same oil that maybe onion rings or fish <laughs> um, burgers were cooked in the day before. Because it's going to remain and taint the flavour. So kind of forward planning. If you're getting a new thing of oil, and let's not, you know, beat around the bush we've been writing this for uh, we wrote this over uh, over the past year and circumstances in the world have changed and i know that uh, sunflower oil especially is especially expensive at mm. the moment so using it more wisely is actually a great thing so maybe get some new oil put it into your fryer and make some sweet treats then move along and do your chips and your uh chickens and then go on to the fish fingers or the onion rings afterwards as the days and weeks go on, because you'll get about five, six, seven uses out of it. But if you go straight in with a two or three litre thing of oil into your fryer and first thing you cook is fish you're stuck with fish for that six, seven, eight yes. more fries. Yes, yes. Um, and it does linger, and it's an unfortunate thing. And it also depends on what type of fry you have. We have one that filters out uh, a lot of the kind of remnants and crispy bits at the bottom, so it keeps the oil a bit purer, and that's mentioned in the book. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's just maintenance. I guess it's a bit like most cooking liquids that are kind of uh, usable several times, whether that's a bit of lard in a pan or a bit of beef dripping that you might use for your own potatoes that you'll just keep on the side it just depends on how you maintain it and store Mm. it and keep it filtered I guess
3: Uh, You've just uh, uh, what would you say, prompted a light bulb moment in this uh, presenter's brain, I need at least another fryer I, I haven't enough in one oh. i need another one at least boys now when you talk to that now listen will you just all stay there a second i want to take a short break on the show because i have a couple of other things to put to you that are vital when it comes and Kristen, you're all right you're there with us still yes yep still yeah here. good good be patient there short break back with the gastro gaze their new book is out today on the widow's and late lunch it's called hot fat stay with us Yes, it's out today. Hot, fat by Russell, Alford and Patrick Hanlon. The gastro gaze. Blaster Books, the publisher. Kristen, when'll I tell you? Kristen, can I tell you something? Go ahead. I've just been googling another new friar while we've been off there on the break. <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. Don't tell. anyone. Kristen, you have t- two great guys here. And what a topic! You must be thrilled.
0: I am, and I'm excited because. It's funny because like people seem to have split opinions on this book. Like, oh, Deep Pride, I, you know, I couldn't possibly, you know, kind of thing. Mm. And yet, I feel like, who are you kidding? It's everybody's favorite food. And like the guys said themselves, when you're thinking of something to treat yourself, whether it's your Friday night takeaway or you're out and, you know, you're having the big pile of chips. Like we all love it. So the fact that now we have these recipes that you can make these things at home and the guys say in the book as well, the great thing about that is you have control over your ingredients too. So you can be using free range chicken or, you know, good quality buttermilk Mm. or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, you've got that higher degree of control versus when you're out eating these same things. yes. So it's just a lot of fun and it's super delicious. I One of the greatest perks of my job is being able to make recipes and books before they're available to the public. So I've been cooking from this book as well <laughs> for the past year. And in fact, my in-laws were over just last night and I made them the buttermilk fried chicken. Ooh. And my mother-in-law, who normally eats like a bird, we were astounded at how at how much she ate. And in fact, they sent me a, a message this morning saying it was the best fried chicken they had ever had.
3: There ever. you <laughs> go. That's fantastic. Just as an aside, that's not an aside, it's a very important point. Where is the book available, Hot Fat? How can people get their hands in it?
0: So what, with today being the official publication day, it's now out in shops. So it's in bookshops, it's in independent retailers all around Ireland. It's on the Blaster Books website, and then the guys can tell you some more about what they have available on their own website.
3: Lovely, lovely. But before they do, we'll do that before we just finish up. I have to come back to them because there are some really pressing questions. And the truth is, boys, you know this, and you said it yourselves, when this is done right, it doesn't soak in the oils. It's good. And you know, in moderation, as we said, and as treats, and no, every night of the week if you want to. Anyway, uh, (laughs) (laughs) tell me this. One of you said was it, um, I'm not sure, it might have been Russell, how many shots How many times can you use the oil Or should you use it before you change it
2: We usually recommend between maybe five, six, seven, eight times, again, depending on what you're using. It also depends on how uh, long it's used for. So, um, one of the kind of, I I always, when I talk about the book, I always say one of the secrets that we know, and then I realize we've written a book and like thousands of people have a copy of it. So, it's not a secret anymore. But quite often, um, in terms of cooking, especially when you're cooking things that are meaty, um, in order to get the temperature, uh, the internal temperature right and cooked, you tend to cook it at a lower temperature for a while and then crank it up to 190 if you're like us maybe you're catering for a couple of people and you're trying to do things in batch and you've left the oil for or as i did one night i left it on for an hour after i was finishing uh cooking but if you leave it for a while at the higher temperature You'll even start to see the colour of it changing Mm. from that beautiful clear yellow to a bit more of a brown Mm. uh, type of thing. And so at that point, you'll start to look at it and go, that oil doesn't look great. I think your senses are a great way of testing it. Um, I know for us, it usually is about six, seven uses, but... uh, we, we, I think we've used our oils quite a lot, mm. and make sure you don't throw them down the drain. That's no. the, other thing. the last thing I want is Loud County Council giving out what <laughs> for causing um, a, a hot fat bird <laughs> somewhere in the sewers around
3: Rawdon. <laughs> <laughs> Point well made Uh, James has been on to me Jerry, you're going to have a problem Deciding whether to put petrol in your car Or oil in your deep fat fryer (laughs) James it's in the fryer Number one I can walk I can walk honestly I will not uh, spare on the fryer Now in a minute One of you you take it uh, for me uh, Would you please uh, Let me see Patrick will you take this Perfect chips in a minute Go on the potato first
7: the perfect chips. Um, you can use, uh, any chip that is quite firm, but also quite fluffy. Um, mm. so we use Golden Wonder. We've used pinks. Cares Pinks. Um, the key to the chip is to cut them all uniformly in size yep. so that they are, aren't small and large. Um, and a couple of tips after they're fried, have them in a stainless steel bowl and Toss them in the air. It aerates them. It keeps them crisp, and uh, it's essential in our book. Uh, anything else on the chips front? Um, put your vinegar in a spray bottle. That's another thing.
2: Spray your vinegar. Don't be doing it with the little nozzle on top. That's a, that's a great one because then it gets a bit more. It's, this is this is it's, we can't lay claim to this. This is Heston Blumenthal's. But just spray the vinegar over, and just a sprinkling of sea salt, and do it in that order because. The vinegar goes on first, it wets it, and then the salt comes along and crystallizes it and holds it together. And that's one of the ways of making sure that it's nice and crisp. Lovely. And
3: single fry, double fry, triple fry, single fry?
2: Double fry, but it's kind of triple cooked because we recommend yeah. um, uh, steam or uh, boiling them first, parboiling boiling them yes, first Yes. Yes. And then, just like a roast potato, add a little bit of flour to it. And it sounds a bit controversial, and it does leave a little bit of the remnants of the flour at the bottom of the fryer, but whatever, it's worth it. You have to think of it like a roast potato. That addition of flour is a carbohydrate. Carbohydrate added to heat equals texture. And that's what the aim of it is. And it just ensures that you have extra crispy ones. Now, the only thing is, if you get Cares Pink, I know this is well over a minute, but um, if you get <laughs> Cares Pink potato at the right time of year, you don't need the flower because they're so fluffy as it is and it yes. just is the most beautiful coating on the outside.
3: Uh, hold on a second. I'm tearing tissue here. I've been salivating on the desk. let's just cl- <laughs> clear it up? Oh, my God, almighty. That This has never happened Our to me before. Ultimate um, Studio
2: <laughs> malfunction.
3: <laughs> Boys, uh, just mentioned the book on your own platforms. Where can it be got?
2: so we've um uh, set up a site at Gastrogaze, that's g-a-s-t-r-o-g-a-y-s dot square dot site and there you can buy the book we can sign it we're also selling some limited edition socks with the branding on it we're also selling a uh, spice bag seasoning which is delicious that saves you a step in one of the recipes that's going to be iconic um and if you missed the address our instagram will have that address up already at, at Gastrogaze and we can share out from there
3: this is a cracking book. You gotta get it. You gotta get it into your kitchen. Get your fryer, get cooking, hot fat by Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon, Blaster Books, the publisher, Kristen Jensen. Congratulations, it's out today. Folks, I have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. He packed so much into his 22 years. Who am I talking about? Young James Lamb, who passed away almost a year ago at this time. He was a fantastic young fella. I didn't know him myself, but I do know his family well. And when he passed, there was such an outpouring of grief and joy and remembering his life. The town of Drogheda was at a standstill for his funeral back then and I'm delighted to welcome to late lunch today his ma'am thank you for joining me Katrina
6: how are you doing Jerry?
3: I'm really good how are you?
6: not too bad, not too bad at all Um, just busy with this fundraising at the moment um, which has been phenomenal Um, and he has just surpassed all all expectations and in two days we are now at about 21000 which has been fantastic and a great credit to his friends um, who have supported him all through um, his illness and could continue to support him now um, and they're just a great bunch of friends
3: It is wonderful news. Now just remind our listeners about him. He was a brilliant young man wasn't he? And I, I mean that what he achieved in 22 years years—your people don't do what he did in multiples of that
6: Yeah, he he um, James, um, going back, starting off, he um, applied for a bursary scholarship to Prongosville College and he was successful in that Um, and he then went on. From there, he won an award at the end of his time in Clongos, the um, St. Aloysius Award Um, and then went to UCD and he was studying um, economics and politics Um, and in between that, he was Diagnosed at the age of just 13, 14 and he then went um, had a major surgery then at 14 and went on then he was good for a couple of years and then was re-diagnosed then in 2019
3: Yes and he came through a lot in terms of fighting cancer and succumbed to it as I said almost a year ago at this stage and he took out his degree didn't he just before he passed?
6: He was awarded his degree, um, which he was due to finish um, just days before he passed away. He had come home from hospital. Um, we had four beautiful days um, here in the house with him, um, and he was awarded his um, his degree with um, in front of us all and um, UCD and. Jed Nash, the TD, presents them with the, with the degree.
3: Fantastic. And what is happening now is UCD are creating this scholarship in the name of James Lamb that is going to be awarded to somebody who, who has challenges with their health. Is that the idea?
6: Um, it's somebody that um, would have would have medical conditions. Yes. Um, and struggle when James was going through college. Um, each year when he re-diagnosed, he used to have to readjust his modules and all that. But he just found it hard, you know, um, to get through college. And this was just taught up by his friends, um, who came together and were wondering what they could do mm. to help and they came up with this idea to um, set up UCD came forward first and we met with them last year to say that um, they wanted to do something that they were so in awed with James and um, that he was such a good lad and that education was so important to him and then his friends came together and said why don't we set up this f- fundraiser go fund me and we can raise um, for this scholarship, for this um, the James Lamb Memorial Scholarship Fund. So um, that's how it started, and it went live uh, two days ago, and it is sitting now at twenty thousand, twenty-one thousand. Lovely. So enough, maybe for eight years, which was the equivalent. We started off first; we were hoping to raise um, twelve thousand and now there's enough at the moment for eight years of that scholarship for James but it's just fantastic and it's just been amazing and his friends have been so good to James throughout his illness and now it's just it's just fantastic really
3: and it will be administered by the UCD foundation and it's valued as you said at 12,000 every four years but now you've uh, eight years covered already god this is going to go places I, I just have a feeling myself that that it is where can people find the GoFundMe page to support you?
6: They just, they can follow the link. There's a link they can get. Um, we will, they can get it on the Arahleys page um, on Facebook, or they can, there's a link, it's, they can we, can, we can, I can send it in to you if, and they can yes. get it from there maybe. Lovely. Um, so, yeah, it's, any donations is um, is greatly appreciated.
3: Yes, and if you just even Google James Lambo Lamb, you will uh, actually pick up on this and yeah. you'll be able to go in and donate that way. People are so good, aren't they?
6: They're just... Absolutely amazing. The the bond that is that his fans have, that he had with his fans, is just amazing. Both in Drogheda and from Congo's from school, it's just been amazing. They're a great bunch of lads. Great, a great team effort.
3: I asked you how you were doing. What about his brother and sisters and and Aiden? How how are you getting on?
6: Uh, not too bad. We're up and down, good days and bad days. You know, it's tough. Aidan's here beside me and um, he's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough, but this is such a positive, um, what would you say, to from a negative experience, from a very sad experience, you know, um, it's just, it raises for his friends as well. It kind of keeps them going and keeps positive, you know, every something positive out of something negative and not it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't know him, I have to say, but I know Aidan. I know and knew his granddad, Jim, as well. What fantastic people. But you know what? i would say this to you, Katrina. We all came to know him, even if you didn't know him afterwards. Isn't that something special to say?
6: Yeah, he he was a special lad, all right. And I know he's our son and he's... Ah, oh, he was just, he was an amazing young lad, you know, full of fun as well, you know, fun of laughter and, you know, he'd a zany laugh as well, you know, that will never be forgotten either, you know, he'd be remembered, but he was a caring young lad, you know, he cared about people, he cared, he was passionate about social justice and he was, um, invo- you know, he just really, he was a good person that liked to help people.
3: Mm. Telling them the story about uh, President Michael D. Higgins and his connection with him.
6: Oh, uh, he. Um, I think it was at the end of the fly, with the first fly, and he was down. He used to um, talk about Michael D. Higgins and he admired Michael D. Higgins but he wanted to meet him and he went down to um, the tourist office and where Michael D. was there and he tried to get his attention and he couldn't he spoke Ask get to him and he got his attention and got to shake his hand at the time and he spoke a few words but when in the last few days when James came home from hospital and the first night he, um, that he was presented with the award or with his degree um, President Michael Higgins phoned and spoke to him and James at the time was in and out of consciousness and he just kind of woke for a few minutes and spoke as get to him um, and that would have been one of the last times that he kind of spoke um, he, after that then he was kind of of, you know, um coming in out of consciousness. He wasn't mm. speaking much after that, you know. But he just couldn't believe it that he got his degree and he spoke to Michael D. Higgins personally then, you know.
3: Oh, fantastic. Anyway, it's there forever now, the James Lamb Memorial Scholarship at UCD. And yeah. in uh, his passing as in life, he continues to help other students to get their education uh, when they are on the health front too. GoFundMe, you can contribute, folks. And as I say, there's lots of links there. We'll have it here uh, too as well on LMFM Radio. But if you just Google James Lambo Lamb, you will be able to get to that GoFundMe and contribute. The news is great. Katrina, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Regards to Aidan and all the family, and we're thinking of you all at this time as the anniversary approaches.
6: Thank you very much. Thank you.
5: Thank Thank you
3: for joining me. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a remarkable young man. What a remarkable young man. That's all I can say. And... uh if you read about him and his life and what he went through and it didn't deter him one little bit and it's fantastic that this is happening now, this scholarship. Well done to all concerned and thanks to everybody who has contributed. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. Up next on the show, Kerry Danes. She's a forensic psychologist. She's joining me. There's a programme starting on Sky tonight and streaming on Now TV called The Staircase. We're going to chat to Kerry about it next. Sky... And streaming on now, The Staircase, Thursday. Yes, this Thursday evening. And the story is this. It's starring Colin Firth and Tony Collette, two fantastic actors and actress. Uh, it's the story of Michael Peterson. And it goes back to, th- to uh, let me say that again. It's the story of Michael Peterson. And it goes back to 2001 in North Carolina and the suspicious death of his wife, Kathleen. Subsequently, he was convicted, but the story is remarkable and takes many twists and turns. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined on late lunch today by the UK's best known forensic psychologist Kerry Danes. Hello, Kerry.
5: Hello. Thank you for having me.
3: I'm delighted to have you with me on the show. Can I say this from the start about the staircase? The only Mm. suspect, a shut and closed case. Your thoughts, please.
5: Well, the only suspect is Michael Peterson or is he? Because various theories have emerged. This is an infamous case, and I think it's destined to be just one of those mysteries that endure. Some people believe that an owl was responsible for attacking Kathleen Peterson, and some people believe that it was a simple fall down the stairs that caused her death. What I can tell you is that you will see all of these scenarios played out in the drama, and so... Hopefully, that will help you to make up your own mind. It's quite difficult to watch, though, because you see Tony Collette, the brilliant Tony Collette, playing out these different scenarios, and you realize that Kathleen Peterson, a real woman, let's not forget, obviously died a very, very difficult death. And, you know, the, the search for truth has become so clouded.
3: You know, the man himself who is in the dock, let's say, and the only suspect, a novelist, a writer, a respected man with a family, his second marriage, yes, and he even took care of children of friends of theirs. But that brings me to another point. Those friends who both passed away and himself and Kathleen became carers to their children. But Elizabeth Ratcliffe, who uh, was the mother of those two children uh, that they were caring for. She died in suspicious circumstances in Germany in 1985 and again the finger appeared to point to Michael Peterson.
5: Well she did die in well I I wouldn't say suspicious circumstances because at the time it was considered a pretty open and shut case of the fact that she'd had I think it was um, possibly a, a a brain aneurysm a stroke or something like that but some sort of biological cause but She had then, as a result, fallen down the stairs. So she's been found dead in very, very similar circumstances to Kathleen Peterson. So not suspicious until, of course, the second woman ends up dead at the bottom of the stairs then it becomes very suspicious indeed but again not an open and shut case not at all but this is just one of the revelations that is made about michael peterson and his history there are revelations to do with his finances or lack of finances his sex life his relationship with the truth i mean you you couldn't write this you couldn't write it it has to be a true story because it's got so many twists and turns
3: Indeed, it has and was covered as a real life courtroom thriller uh, on a number of occasions in 2005, 13 and 18. And of course, the staircase now with Colin Firth and Tony Collette is building upon this. He always maintained his innocence and he was always trying to clear his name Convicted in 2003, but after eight years, a new trial was ordered and back into court he went again. You mentioned the owl. Anything else that came forward then that uh, threw doubt on his conviction?
5: Well, yes, it turns out that the blood spatter expert who gave evidence in his original trial and was absolutely pivotal, I think, in persuading the jury of his guilt didn't have the qualifications that he said that he had and, in fact, had been involved in other cases where he'd falsified evidence to a court or he'd held back what they call expultery, I can't say the word, expultery evidence, evidence that would suggest that the person was not guilty anyway. And so it turns out that he is a very, very dodgy expert indeed. And when when that's revealed, of course, a new trial has to be ordered. So it's not just revelations about Michael Peterson or the Peterson family, but it's also revelations about the criminal justice system and the workings of the criminal justice system. And just how, um, well, how at the mercy we can be of so-called experts who actually present junk science.
3: It's remarkable, as you say, and there's so many twists and turns in this, and it's unmissable, the staircase, which goes out in the sky and now Mm -hmm. streaming uh, on Thursday evening. Just before we finish up, a couple of things. Caitlin, uh, Kathleen's daughter from a previous marriage, or uh, the man himself, Michael's stepdaughter, settled a case with him uh, back uh, many years ago for $25 million in 2007.
5: He paid her. Well, he hasn't paid because he was left absolutely penniless as a result of Kathleen's death, because it turns out that he didn't own the mansion that they lived in. Really, all of the money that was coming into the family, which was far less than they were spending, was Kathleen's. So everything that she left went to her ex-husband and her daughter. So, yes, a case was settled for £25 but he's not been able to pay that. And again, that does speak to his... um, his guilt, doesn't it? But you've got to remember that that case was settled at the point at which he had been convicted of first-degree murder of Kathleen, and that was subsequently thrown out, although he was later convicted of her manslaughter.
3: That's a massive IOU, isn't it? And the other thing is, in twenty seven. It is indeed. And then in 2017, he uh, went this route, the Alford plea, not accepting the act and, uh, you know, asserting his innocence, but admitting uh, that evidence and the evidence uh, that was involved in the case for many years would actually convict him. So um, he was what convicted of manslaughter and time already served counted. And the man is a free man. Does it prove now without doubt, Kerry, that you can get away with murder?
5: Well, do you know what? I don't think that anything is proven without a doubt. And in this case, as I say, I think it's going to be an enduring mystery because um, the, the scientific evidence was not up to par. And I think that sometimes we have to say that science can only take us so far. And, you know, a lot of people believe that Michael Peterson was guilty, is guilty. I would say that eight years is not a long time if that is the case. I think that he's got to very, very lightly if that is the case. Other people believe that he is absolutely innocent, in which case this is a man whose life has been destroyed, really, by the criminal justice system. I think that you've got to watch the eight episodes on now and make up your own mind, really. But I think that it's it's a difficult one.
3: It is a difficult one. The intrigue continues, but as you said, the staircase going out on Sky Thursday evening, streaming on Now. What a drama, what a story this is. And again, starring uh, the brilliant Colin Firth and Tony Collette. For the moment, I thank you sincerely. Kerry Danes, yes, forensic psychologist, par excellence. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today. Thank you.
5: Thank you. Put it on your Now watch list. Thank you.
3: Yes, on this evening, make sure you don't miss, it is intriguing. Now, just reminding you that that, uh, this coming Saturday is darkness into light and our Chris Murray will be up in the darkness and heading into the light here live on LMFM radio for a special darkness into light show so if you're getting up yourself to walk, run or even stand outside your door to see the sunrise tune into us here on LMFM radio with your darkness into light journey Chris wants your voice notes and videos throughout the morning to our WhatsApp number 086 1800 658 that's this Saturday morning from 3.30am Chris Murray here Here on LMFM Radio. Darkness into light. Interesting listening to Michael there about Talca Park in Dublin. I'm a big League of Ireland fan. I followed it since I was a child. I followed Drogheda for my sins. And you know, Talca Park, the, the same Talca Park. There's only one thing to do with Talca Park. Bulldoze it to the ground. It's as simple as that. It's not fit for purpose, Talca Park. It needs to be totally demolished. Now... Demolished and rebuilt from scratch, a new stadium with a full-size pitch that the clubs can play in Europe great. But they should proceed with the ground, a new ground for Bohemians and shelburne and share it, makes most sense. It's interesting because Johnny Macdonald, the former Drogheda manager, has been commenting lately. He was at the loud derbies, the two of them in Drogheda a few weeks back and on Dalk last week. And he's just saying that neither of the grounds in the League of Ireland grounds in this neck of the woods are suitable. And he's absolutely right. But in particular, being a Drogheda fan, I have to say that United Park should be raised to the ground as well. It's not fit for purpose It can never be a pitch that meets requirements for European football. Please, God, someday Drogheda may get back there and play a game in their own town. It is over. United Park is over. It's over years ago for Drogheda. It's a new stadium. Now, Johnny MacDonald is saying Drogheda, Dundalk to share. Where would you build the stadium? Dunlaire? Castle Bellingham? What would people think of that? I think both towns, two biggest towns in Ireland, should have their own soccer stadium, both of them, and a new, nice stadium. Look at Salford City in England. Have a look at that stadium and see what they did, a simple concept. But people hankering onto the view, United Park's history. I'll tell you about the history of it. I played in it as a child, kicked football behind the goals, cows grazed in it. Don't get me started about history. It's not fit for purpose. It's dangerous, actually, at the minute. And the FAI hold the whip hand on it at the moment there's been many false dawns in Drogheda about a stadium and I'm just tired of it at this stage but United Park really it's not safe it really isn't it's not fit to house top football in this country and the facilities in Ireland all over uh, they leave a lot to be desired I have to say but Drogheda United's ground should be bulldozed gone history out of there to a new stadium fit for purpose for the decades ahead that people can be proud of Forget about it. Johnny Macdonald, I'm with you all the way and I'm a drahada fan through and through. Raise it. Late Lunch LMFM Radio. Where I move on this afternoon to, of course, my soundtrack. And the soundtrack this week on Late Lunch comes from the musical Waitress. And Sarah Bareilles, who wrote the score, I mentioned this already, also penned the music for another big hit, SpongeBob SquarePants*, which earned her another Tony nomination for Best Score back in 2016. She can also act, the woman I can tell you she can, because uh, her portrayal of Mary Magdalene in Jesus Christ Superstar earned her more recognition at the Emmy and Grammy Awards in 2018. She's sold, you may not know this, more than a million albums in the States and nine million singles. You see, she's best known over there for sure. She also reprised the role of Jenna in Waitress, her musical that she wrote the music for, during September and October just last year on Broadway, where it reopened after the pandemic. Here she is, one of her own songs in a duet from Waitress with Jason Raz.
7: I
0: could find the whole meaning of life in those sad eyes. They've seen things that you never quite say, but I
3: hear. Ah, simply beautiful from Waitress. The musical coming to the Borgas Energy Theatre next month. Sarah Bareilles there in a lovely Jewess. You matter to me, and you matter to us every day on late lunch, of course. Our valued listeners. Final break of the afternoon, and afterwards. After the short break, we're joined by the wonderful Abby Wynne. Yes, I have her diary here on the table beside me one day at a time, and every day there's something to do for every month of the year. We're in early May and I'm delighted to say hello again to healer and best selling author Abby Wynne. Hello, Abby
1: hi how's it
3: going (laughs) really really good how are you today anyway it's may time and uh, the world is good the weather's not bad either you want to talk to us today about connecting spiritually ourselves talk to me a bit about this because people you know yourself are running about today as they're listening to us doing all the things they do in life and having to deal with why is it important to connect
1: Oh, yeah. It's interesting, too, because we have this assumption that we need everything needs to be still. Everything needs to be perfect. It has to be completely quiet before you can connect in spiritually. And I think also people are a bit scared of the word spiritually. But for me, it just means connecting into life force, connecting into beauty, silencing the mind, really, most of all. Just if you get away from your thoughts for a few minutes, sure, isn't it a great break altogether?
3: <laughs> it certainly is. It's a big help. Mm. But, you know, we are spiritual people. But what I'm saying to you is, Abby, people don't, you know, go there. Why is that? Do you have to, you know, make it happen?
1: It's interesting you say that. And it's almost as if we're designed that way to always be thinking of the next thing and, you know, distracting ourselves from what's in front of us, not wanting to feel what we're feeling. And I think there's a bit of a fear as well, that if we were to stop and connect in and ask ourselves at the deepest level, how are you? How are you doing? That there might be something there you don't like or something there that's overwhelming or something there you don't want to face. And what I've discovered over the years, Jerry, is that there actually usually isn't. It's the fear of doing it that gets bigger than the whatever you find there when you actually take the time to connect into yourself, into your heart. Do you know what I mean? Because you can tell yourself Mm. a story, build it up and build it up and make it bigger and make it into something that it isn't. It's like I I say to some of my clients, the monster in the wardrobe, and you actually stand in front of the wardrobe, open it up and take it out. It's actually a teddy bear. (laughs) <laughs> but you've turned it into that monster because you, you, you haven't wanted to look at it. Therefore, you're, you know, creating a distance between yourself and it. And, you know, for sticking with the diary here, the exercise I have in it for me says, you know, set an alarm for 10 minutes and turn off all your distractions. You know, even just doing that, if you don't do anything else, is huge because there's always something pulling at you. There's always somebody wanting your attention. And if you can just say no for 10 minutes you know and 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 even if you're afraid you know is it 10 minutes yet you keep checking your phone you set the alarm because then you know you're held by that time and anyone who needs you can wait for 10 minutes Hmm. anyone who you know pulls on you all these they can can wait for 10 minutes if it's important it'll still be there at the end of the 10 minutes and you know what's remarkable is a lot of the things that we think are urgent after that 10 minutes they're not that urgent anymore so you kind of you kind of come more into a balance with yourself where you can get a bit better perspective and go, oh, hang on a minute. I just spent 10 minutes not worrying about that thing. <clears throat> nobody died and nobody, you know, nothing broke and that world didn't end. So maybe to have a look at, well, how am I managing my thoughts? How am I holding myself and navigating through the day? Is it like one of those tornadoes? The minute you get out of the bed, is a tornado going the whole day until you sit down and you go, Oh my God. And then you have have a glass of wine, put a feet up, put the feet up and watch the TV. And unwind the tornado that's been winding itself up all day. Whereas if you take the 10 minutes to just stop and think and, you know, breathe, push things aside and just be. That's that—that's a connection. Not that you know, Because you're connecting into that life force, mm. the truth of who you are.
3: So that it's, is the way to do it. Be still, <laughs> block out everything else, sit with your own thoughts, let everything wait. And that's the way you will really connect.
1: Well, I think if you have a relationship then with the universe or God, whatever you'd like to call it, spirit, and you can say, okay, I'm having trouble sitting here for 10 minutes. So can you just hold on to all my worries, all my emotions, all my troubles to give me a break from that? Mm. And that's where the spirituality, the connection comes in, because you have to have that flow. You're not on your own. Mm. It's not just you. And we forget that. We think we have to do everything ourselves. And when you can get that sense of, well, I'm going to put my burdens down and you do it, you feel lighter. And then you can look at your burdens and go, well, actually, is that a burden? And then you can say, well, do I actually want to pick this one up again? You know, or am I carrying this for my friend? Is this emotion, you know, someone else's emotion or someone else's expectation and I'm just trying to please everybody else? And that that's a huge relief as well. But I go a bit further in the exercise because, you know, you can always push yourself a little bit <laughs> further. Yeah. And um, imagine that you dissolve away into nothing. Now, you can't go from being the tornado and the whirlwind and all the thoughts and all the worries and all the fears into nothing in 10 minutes. It's a gradual, gradual process. And the process is a process of trust. So you have to trust that everything will still be there when you come back after 10 minutes. You have to trust that you're not going to not want to come back. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because it can be so nice to just disconnect for a while, to say, no, but you can like dip your toe in and do it gradually. And that's why I think the whole month of May could be a month that you devote to Learning how to be in stillness. And what's really interesting for me is that I wrote this diary last year. It's really pertinent now for the month. The themes are fitting in perfectly to the energies. And many of my clients are saying to me that they're getting a deeper sense of stillness right now than they've ever had before in their lives. So it comes down to the universe showing up and being willing and ready to take all those burdens and troubles away. You just have to ask it and create the environment for that to happen and just see, what, see how you go with it.
3: You've
2: got the worst us. thing
1: that's going to happen
3: <laughs> well exactly exactly but I do like it and you know I do it inadvertently myself when I go out into my garden by myself and my thoughts are with me and everything else is blocked out and I don't have phones and nobody talking to me I talk to myself in my mind and I know what you're getting at it is so so helpful that's a great thought to leave them with today set the alarm Ten minutes to begin and away you go. And you will, you will gain great benefit from it. More from Abby, Check her out, com, And she'll be back with us again next month to take us into the month of June as well with our thoughts for then. Thank you so much. I love talking to you.
1: Thank you too. Great to be here.
3: Thank you for joining me. Abby Wynn there, finishing off our late lunch this Thursday afternoon. Tomorrow on the show, author Sinead Crowley is with me. We mark the International Day of the Midwife. A young man, a great young man, overcoming cancer, now excelling at golf. David Sheehan has the sport with your comedy and TV theme competition. All to come on the final late lunch of this week. Eddie Caffrey is raring to go with the drive here next on LMFM Radio. Have yourselves a nice Thursday evening and do come back tomorrow for your late lunch from 1.30. We'll see you then.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jada, Dundalk and Cabin. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48 hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze relax,
1: and think about
0: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
6: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.